So many people deconstruct because of hypocrisy and they think all evangelicals are evil and fear-based and all of this. Just break that stereotype for them. That could be the best thing you could do is just not be afraid of their questions. Offer to like, hey, I'd really love to know what brought you on this journey and maybe hold your tongue. Don't offer them an answer in that moment, but make them know like you're not afraid of their questions. Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. If you've been enjoying the podcast, would you take a minute and log onto your favorite podcast platform, rate us, and leave us a review? It would be a tremendous help, and it allows others to find us more easily. Leave us a review, and perhaps next episode, we will mention you on the show. Today, I welcome Elisa Childers back to Candid. She's no stranger to Candid Conversations, and we were blessed to have some more time with her this week during her visit to the Church of the Apostles to teach at our women's retreat. Last time Elisa was with us, we took a deep look into the deconstruction movement, Elisa expounded on her mission to help make Christians aware of the warning signs of attacks on true Christian faith from progressive Christianity. If you missed our first episode with her, I encourage you to go back and listen to episode 84 of Candid Conversations. In today's episode of Candid, we talked about some difficult topics currently being discussed in Christian circles, including some key lies embraced by our culture. Together we unpack why it is important for Christians to challenge thoughts like, God just wants me to be happy, or I am enough, instead of embracing them. We also discuss feminism from a biblical perspective and revisit a couple of thoughts on progressive Christianity. It's a great conversation that will encourage and equip you as a believer. Now, on to our candid conversation. Well, my guest, once again, welcome back, Elisa Childers. Thank you so much for being with us. I've caught you in between breaks uh, as you're speaking at our women's conference here at Church of the Apostles. So just in kind of catching some of the tail end of your talk to the women upstairs, this concept of the, the cultural lies that are existing, that are around us, what have you found in doing research? Is this for a book or you've already written this or this? Uh, yeah, so I have a book coming out in the yeah. fall called Live Your Truth and Other Lies. Yeah. And then the subtitle is how Exposing Popular Deceptions That Make Us Anxious, Self-Obsessed and Exhausted. Yeah. And so we're, we take a look at some cultural slogans like live your truth and you should put yourself first yeah. and you only live once. And it's just this kind of all about me sort of uh, I've heard it referred to as meology that the world mm. is, is going along with. And that's coming out in the fall. But now that that's written and coming out, I'm doing research for a book on deconstruction and they really go hand in hand. There's a lot <laughs> yeah. of overlap. So yeah. I'm just kind of submerged in that world right now. Well, in just bringing those two thoughts together, what are you seeing as the bridge between the deconstruction and the self-absorption mentality? I think there's a very strong connection. And I think what the connection is, is that for Christians, the Bible is our authority. Yeah. But for the deconstruction movement yeah. and this whole concept of live your truth and all of these sort of self-centered type of slogans that we hear, yeah. the authority is the self. And yeah. I've been thinking about this. I don't make cartoons. You know how people make little handwritten cartoons. But I thought of one that I thought would be a really 
appropriate way to parse this out is so many people will say, well, I don't want to put God in a box. But then God's like, pick a box. <laughs> you pick the God box or you pick the you box. Yeah. But you have to pick one. It's not us putting God in a box. God has revealed himself through his word. So I think it's the mentality, especially in the deconstruction movement, you'll hear people say, I'm trying to get back to authentic Christianity. Mm. I'm trying to disengage myself from some of the maybe American Western cultural yeah, things yeah. we've added to it. Yeah. Um, but what you often see, now, not always, certainly, but what you often see is that when you dig down into that, they've mm. really made their own moral intuitions, right. their, their authority. authority. So yeah. if, if there's something in the Bible that feels morally dubious, then they're going to reject that. And so I think it's a fair characterization of what I see happening in the movement. So one of the questions that was asked of you, and you talked a little bit about this, is this redefining deconstruction. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't even aware that this was uh, yeah. existing in that space, which is that, as you just mentioned, people are looking back at the faith that they had built up maybe from a young age or whatever it is. And it's there's a, a lot of tied into patriotism and, mm -hmm. and, and some of the, the cultural things of the West and particularly America that require investigating and poking and prodding. Yeah. So kind of walk us through that. Help us define some of these terms that people may be misdefining so that we have just some clarity with that. Yeah. And I'll, I just acknowledge there's a lot of disagreement about this right now. Sure. Yeah. I have an opinion that yeah. I'm arguing for. Sure. So yeah. I want to acknowledge that not every even biblically faithful Christian agrees with me yeah. on these definitions, but I'll give you a little backstory to lead up to why I'm defining it the way I am. Part of my story is that I went through deconstruction right. over 10 years ago. There was no deconstruction movement at the time. Right. Uh, so I was pretty alone in it. First and, of your kind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although it's interestingly. Beta prototype. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> and a lot of, I think that happened to a lot of people too back then, yeah. kind of when the emergent church came out and all that. Yes. So for me, and just noticing other people who went through that, my story is very unique in the sense that the Lord rebuilt my faith back to what I would call a historically orthodox faith. Yes, right. um, no, lots of stuff changed. I actually did a lot of that, uh, disengaging from maybe cultural things that I grew up with. I actually re built my theology from the ground up and rejected a lot of things that I thought were biblical growing right. up. And I look right. back and go, actually, I can't find anything in the Bible that right. says that I should be doing that. Yes. And some of that stuff was even emotionally difficult because mm. it produced a good feeling in me. Yeah. And so there was a lot of wrestling in that sense. And so then I started to see the hashtag deconstruction and I was, mm. I've been following for years what people are saying in that movement. They wouldn't necessarily call it synonymous with deconversion. But in my view, that's what most of the time happens is yeah. even if they're still identifying as Christian, they've rejected some core doctrines of the faith this is why I wrote my book about progressive Christianity. Yeah. So just recently I'm starting to see even, you know, biblically faithful evangelical leaders start to refer to deconstruction as a positive thing. We should deconstruct. We should all deconstruct our faith. And I, certainly don't think someone's a heretic for saying that. I think there's a battle over this word right now. Yeah. I don't think we should co-opt it and turn it into something like reformation where we take like what You're in my rebuilding, yes, yeah. reforming. Yeah. We have words for that. Deconstruction, the word really can be traced back to postmodern philosophers like Jacques Derrida and uh, Foucault, yeah. who really were based on relativism. Uh, Derrida didn't believe that words could be pinned down to singular meanings. Mm. And so the, the author's intent had no more authority than the hearer's interpretation. Right. 
And so certainly many people in the deconstruction movement aren't reading Derrida, but they're using his playbook. They're, They're redefining so many things about Christianity And it's all because of this relativism that's sort of bubbling up underneath it. So what Mm -hmm. I'm arguing is let's save the word deconstruction for that and not try to turn it into something that Christians would consider to be a healthy process of reforming or something like that. And the main reason for that is because, first of all, I don't think it's the right word to use for that. But also my concern is that if you search the word deconstruction or you thought, oh, I want to deconstruct, there is a whole community of people waiting that are actively trying to tear down the Christian faith. And I just proselytizing, right? They are so evangelistic. They will say they're not, but they are, they have entire platforms dedicated to it. There are therapy sites where you can go be deconstructed. I went to a conference where I paid good money to be deconstructed just for research purposes. And it was essentially Buddhism, what they were teaching. So I just think that we need to think about our words and I'm arguing that we just leave that with Derrida and the deconstruction, the postmodern connotations and use different words to describe what we would think is a healthy process. In your conversations with people who are going through this process, are you seeing that that was sort of this first step for them as in terms of I'm questioning those foundations, not even the biblical foundations, but just the cultural foundations. Mm -hmm. And then it's sort of opening Pandora's box. I mean, merely from a, a misdefinition of a word, they're kind of open themselves. I mean, mm. this is, you talk about this upstairs, it's it's the the bane of Google, right? Yeah. Yeah, the search engine that, that can lead someone down a really unhelpful rabbit trail. Yeah, so I would say it like this. You will hear a lot of Christians <clears throat> say, I'm just deconstructing the cultural stuff. Yeah. I'm keeping authentic Christianity. And I think that's great. That's a noble goal. I wouldn't use the word deconstruction for that. And here's why. Because in many, and I've had even online and comments trying to get to the bottom of this with people who are saying things like that. For example, I interacted with a, um, I think he's probably a progressive Christian, but everything he was saying sounded right. It was like, oh, we're just providing this community for people to deconstruct and uh, we love the Bible. And so I just tried to ask a few clarifying questions. And what was very interesting is about three or four questions in, he is saying, this doesn't feel safe anymore. The questions you're asking. And that really puzzled me because I'm thinking, how can some questions feel unsafe? And I'm asking, do you believe the Bible is authoritative? And he's kind of said, yeah, it is. It's authoritative for me. And we love the Bible, but I wouldn't use the word inerrancy because that's a modern term. I prefer the biblical language. And that all sounds great, right? I mean, a Bible believing Christian will be like, oh yeah, I'm going to follow this guy. That sounds good. Like that. That's yeah, right. right. But then when I ask, right. And then when I ask more questions, I couldn't get him to say, yeah. That the Bible is the standard for objective truth for Christians. Right. It might be authoritative for him, but he's not going to tell somebody else. And that's what's waiting for people, even with using that language, because that's what he was saying. I'm just engaging the cultural stuff mm. or this or that. But part of what happens is for someone who might be naively using the word, what they might not realize is that when many people are using that word and they even frame it like that, they're identifying authentic Christianity, not based on what the Bible says. In fact, this guy did say this. He said, and this is what I see so often in that movement, is maybe the beliefs that you have about what you even think the gospel is are those cultural beliefs. And that's the concern because they're not just talking about, you know, maybe they're how they were raised to think about women in leadership or the age of the earth even or something like that. They're talking about core. They're talking about core issues. Like if we are going to affirm the atoning work of Jesus as a sacrificial offering on the cross, is that maybe something that 
is a product of white supremacy that came about to try to oppress and control a certain group of people with this fear of judgment. Right. Yeah. From a very minority Jewish world. Yeah. I just, you and I know that that logically will fall on its face. I mean, propitiation is not a right. white supremacist term that yeah. exists. Let me come back to this. So in thinking about the person who is going through this process, I'm just trying to think, and maybe we're going too far down this track, but I'm thinking like the motivation is there is this sort of dissatisfaction with their life or dissatisfaction with who God has become in their mm. view? Is it a lack of proper information about who God is? I mean, I've noticed in some of my interviews, we talked about there's sort of this lack of proper doctrine of God mm -hmm. uh, being taught in a lot of churches. And then people are left to their own devices in some sense. And this is a logical concluding path for many of them. So I guess, I, I mean, just yeah. getting to the core in, in your conversations with people, like the, the core motivation mm. for entering into these. There are a few <clears throat> ingredients that seem, in fact, I've started to make a list of what's all in common. And I haven't talked to a ton of people yet. I'm starting sure. to really get yep. into that world. I've listened to a lot of deconstruction yep. stories. So I have a lot of analysis based on that, but actual personal conversations with a back and forth. I'm starting to make lists based on that and the research I've done prior. Mm -hmm. And there seem to be a list of about four or five things that all of the deconstruction stories have in common. Yeah. And the ingredients would be lack of doctrine. Mm. There seems to be no awareness of why something might be considered to be a primary doctrine. Right. It's really sort of everything's on the same level. And so what happens is a group of kids that maybe grew up in a lot of churches that aren't teaching through the Bible. Mm -hmm. So they got a little Jesus stories yes. sprinkled into yes. their Sunday school classes. With a lot of moralism. With a lot of moralism. That's right. And then all of these people that lectured them on morals are now campaigning for and voting for. Trump, who's on the cover of Playboy magazine. I've heard that. And, and I remember seeing that going, what? I mean, I understand Christians who held their noses and I mean, we don't have to get into politics, but when the Christians were saying we can't vote for this person because he's immoral and then they're championing somebody who's on the cover yes, of Playboy magazine. The same people. Yep. Right. And so this group is going, you guys are hypocrites, but they didn't have enough solid foundation to be able to tear that away right. from authentic Christianity or even analyze that in a way that could say, okay, the atonement is not to blame for that. Maybe, you know, we can have the discussion about the level of hypocrisy or whatever that might have been that that brought that together. Yeah. But in trying to disentangle that, even it's been OK, well, then I don't believe in hell anymore. And hell is a huge one. Yes, that's another huge ingredient right. with that people have said to us and that I've observed is they just can't believe in a God that would send people to hell. I mean, right. this is a very deep and real yeah. question. That and, was uh, Rob yeah, Bell's Rob Bell. biggest issue, right? I mean, it was, yeah. I can't believe that God would send. Yeah. And, and the thing, and this is where it's so slippery because even with Bell's book and what people will point out, well, he was just asking questions because he actually doesn't make any dogmatic claims in the book about what he thinks hell actually is. Yeah. It's just a, a lot of questions, but the questions sort of lead you to an answer. And sure. so that really caused and a lot of And he's come to the people. conclusions. He right? has come yeah. to the conclusion. Yeah, yeah, That's right. Yeah. But it led a, a lot of Christians <clears throat> into, well, let's open our mind to rethink yes. this idea. Okay. Let's stick with that line. Questions are extremely important. You talked about raising your teenage daughter. And this comes back to the whole Google mentality, right? That your kids, when at some point will have access to all mm -hmm. of this information, and so training them and raising them up 
not with just this is what I say and this is the rule and this is the law and you just trust me, mm-hmm. but rather it's okay to ask the questions, but let's make sure it's happening in a protected environment mm-hmm. such as the home. Yeah. I would even say, even if you're at a Christian school, it may not still be a, a safe enough environment. Absolutely. But, but I think Christians have a fear of questions. Hmm. I heard a story the other day that a group went out to do sort of street evangelism and they were engaging with an atheist and the atheist was raising from their perspective, strong arguments against biblical morality or, you know, whatever it is. And the family said, we don't want to do this anymore because Mm. we're afraid of the questions that are going to be posed that the children are going to overhear Mm. and may think down this track Yeah. versus this may be a little bit more advanced for their age, but they need, they still need to know that this worldview exists out here. Yeah. Now it's my job and my objective to actually equip them with the tools that give them the answers and not just shoving the answers to them, but sure. actually saying, well, let's talk about Well, and this. even demonstrating that yeah. their mom can actually defend this. Right. You know, yeah. here's why, actually, it's yes. a great question, Mr. Yeah. Atheist. Here's yes. why we believe what we right. do. For the kid to even see the mom or the dad not react in fear, but even if they don't remember the answer, but to say, oh, yes. these, kid, these things can be answered. Right. I talked about this in the conference this weekend. I think it's really important for parents to learn for themselves and also teach their children just basic critical thinking skills. I do this with my kids all the time. There's a couple of little YouTube channels we let them watch and people make claims about things. I remember my son coming to me and saying, oh, mom, did you know? And I can't remember what it was, but it was some fact about something, Titanic or something. And I said, "Okay, so that may be true, but it also might not be true. Where did you hear that? Oh, it was in the, the, the YouTube internet. Channel. Yeah. And I said, okay, well, that's called a truth claim. Just because somebody says it on the internet doesn't mean it's actually true. But let me show you how to find a reputable website. They don't use Google without me, but together, you yes. know, here's an actual like authoritative, you know, site that you could get Titanic facts from. Let's take a look and see what was claimed. And, you know, it turns out the claim was true. Okay, well, great. So now we know, but we don't just accept it right because yeah. your favorite YouTuber said it. We, yes. we have to double check this or let's get an encyclopedia or a history book. Right. Even if it's not in the context of the Bible, just right. to teach them, you can't just take at face value anymore. I mean, in apologetics, it's frustrating to me how many talking points keep getting repeated. And I'll be honest, even in the apologetics world and from the atheist world about Christianity. It's like, I'll look at some atheist points and be like, this has been debunked so many times, but y'all just keep saying it. So people believe it. And And uh, we do it too. Yeah. Like we do it too. For many years, apologists would say, you know, if we lost every new Testament, we could reconstruct the original all but 11 verses from the early church fathers. Mm -hmm. And then recently that's been shown to be apocryphal. And a better way to say that would be we could reconstruct most of the new Testament based on the early to mid, you know, church fathers. Right. But the 11 verses thing was not true. And we just repeated it. So even that stuff, even our own camp saying, why are we saying these things? We have to investigate what's actually true. So that brings up another point, which is sort of this, we live in a soundbite culture. You raised this when we were off air, but if you can't give a succinct response in five seconds, people start to question the validity of whatever you're saying. Yeah, that out a they get bit suspicious. That's one thing I've really noticed, especially as I interact with these movements. With the one person I was interacting saying, these questions are making me feel unsafe. There's mm-hmm. an immediate suspicion that if you're asking too many questions, 
there's doubt. you have an agenda. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And um, and honestly, my agenda. I do I'm have an agenda. I'm trying to lead you to Christ. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do have an agenda. I'm not going to you know pretend that I don't. Right. But I really was trying to get clarification. What are you? If, is if you're somebody that's leading a group of Christians through deconstruction, I'm really curious yeah. what you think about the Bible. Yeah. Because are you going to tell someone else the Bible is the authority for them, or mm-hmm. is it just for you and you just let everybody make your decision? Right. And so it's very interesting how it all works. And I've noticed this too, especially with young people who are used to a 10 second answer or a meme. Mm. Uh, we are, yes. it's, it's memeology right now. That's yeah. everything. Like I was at a high school and this kid got up and he said, all right, defend God sending Israel into kill. He said genocide, you know, to commit genocide against the Canaanites. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I've got 20 seconds to answer this. But you can't, I mean, you can't answer that in 20 seconds. Right. Well, you can. Yeah. And I did. Yeah. Because I, you I don't to. know, I'm just sort of at this point where I'm so tired of apologizing. First of all, it's not genocide. You know, I explained that. And I said, and I kind of just said, like, this is not the typical apologetics answer. But I was just like, if you think that's bad, where do you see what happens when he comes again? Yeah, that's, people think it's all in the Old I'm Testament. I'm like, don't, to, don't read Revelation then. Yeah, because <laughs> honestly, his judgment on their sin is what's coming for all of us if we don't yes. trust in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And I have no need to defend his moral character on that because right. I want to be at peace with him when he comes, right. not at war. So, you know, I've, you can do that in 20 seconds, but, you know, if I had more time, I might have, but they yeah, get, they do start to get suspicious. Yeah. Like, what are you dancing around this question? Yeah. If you start to give context or anything, because it's a meme world. Yeah. In the idea of it being a meme world, Let's come back around to some of the cultural lies that we're that we're seeing and that that are actually becoming popular through a lot of authors mm. um, that you've referenced in your talk. The idea of following your own heart, you be the boss of you. Mm-hmm. Talk us through some of you know what you're seeing fall out from that that mentality from yeah. a Christian perspective, a, a so-called Christian perspective. Yeah, I would <clears throat> say probably. All of that is just built on this cultural idea that humans are basically good. Right. And ultimately, I think... Bible falls apart if that's the case. It does. It does fall apart if that's the case. And yet so many Christians have bought that idea Mm. in different language. We might hear things like, you are enough. And that sounds good. It sounds good to tell somebody who's suffering or feeling bad about themselves or low self-esteem, somebody might call it, to say, you're enough. Yeah. It sounds right. But when you think about that's actually a damning message because Mm -hmm. you're essentially telling them. And first of all, it's a, it's an oppressive message, I think too, because basically now they have to find something inside of themselves. That's not there to lead them out. And it's sort of like, what is the better message? The better message is the biblical message, which we, we all know we're broken. Mm -hmm. Like there's something wrong with humans. Yes. And that, to me, that ex- the explanation the Bible gives us sets up for the good news. There is bad news yeah. for the good news to be good news, or else yeah. it would just be news. Right. But we have to know that we need that. And that's the thing I think that is the biggest battle in our culture is everybody's being told, you're perfect just as you are. Haas uh, Guinness actually points this out really well when he mm-hmm. traces like the French Revolution and the American Revolution. Yes. The French Revolution was really based on humans are basically good. So yes. it's the institutions and stuff. But American Revolution was more like we know people are sinners, so yes. we got to put checks and balances right. because power corrupts. And, well, and that's a Catholic worldview versus a yeah. evangelical, so to speak, worldview, right? Yeah. I mean, in some sense, that would have been the core of those two. Interesting. Yeah, right. I still have to get his book. I heard him lecture on it, but it was so <clears> fascinating <throat> because it really is. It's like there are really only two worldviews and it's those two boxes. You pick the God box or you pick the you box and you're not going to pick the you box. If you know, you is not 
good. Yeah. You're going to pick the God box to help figure out the you part. And um, yeah. 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 That's Bob Dylan, right? You're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve somebody. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You brought this up in your talk. This is obviously a theme with people, which is the lie that life is about being happy. Mm. And I think that resonates with everyone, right? Mm -hmm. Because deep down inside, that's what everybody's looking for. Yeah. Though, if you understand the book of Genesis, which I think if you don't understand Genesis, then you, you're, you're probably going to mm -hmm. misunderstand the rest of scripture, yeah. but that we're actually seeking to enter into the rest that God has provided. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about this pursuit of happiness. So this, again, there's some authors out there who are writing books that are having a massive impact with I would say probably Christian women. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk a little bit about how that's sort of opening up that door. I mean, it's it, you've talked about how it's a it's this word moral therapeutic deism, mm -hmm. right? Um, God just wants me to be happy. He just wants to serve my needs, and then I can just do whatever I want the rest yeah. of the time. Yeah, He's not going to worry about <laughs> you know who you sleep with yeah. or. He's not going to bother you with Sin that Sin is stuff. like murder. Yeah, yeah. Just don't like, be nice to each other. Don't be mean to each other. But if you need something, he'll be there. But yeah. otherwise, he's just going to kind of stay out of your business unless you need him. And actually, studies were shown that that was the primary view that American teenagers had about spirituality and yeah. about God. Yeah. And I think we've seen that really leak into the church through books like Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis and Glennon Doyle and others who are writing all of these messages. They think they're empowering women with these messages. Yeah. In fact, Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed, you've mentioned Genesis. She teaches about Genesis. And she says Eve should be our model, not a warning. Right. We need to do what Eve did. In fact, she even says in the book. Because she made the decision. She had an ambition. Yeah. And she cast down all the opposition. <laughs> yeah. And she went after what she wanted. And so she says to women, own your wanting. Eat the apple. So like... <sighs> I know that sounds shocking to Christians, but that's actually an interpretation that I've traced back. I it may even go further back than that, but to what's called the woman's Bible mm. from the very, very early mm. uh, mm -hmm. suffrage movement by uh, a more egalitarian feminist named Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Cause right. there were, there were uh, most of the movement was more complementarian, but there were a few of these egalitarian yes. feminists who also were fighting for the right to vote and things I think we would all agree are good that women yep. have, yep. but they didn't believe there were, like any meaningful differences. And so any inequality as far as or inequity, as far as like if a woman can't do everything a man can do, then that's oppression. And mm. that's what I think co-opted the early feminist movement, which is informing so much of what we're hearing yeah. from even women who say they're Christians mm. and this whole Adam and Eve idea that they characterize it as Eve broke the world. I don't know if they're not aware that the Bible actually blames Adam, but there's only two. Yeah. Adam and Christ. <laughs> yeah. It's it, actually, the Bible doesn't place the blame on yep. Eve, but certainly she bore the consequences along with Adam. But, you know, basically the narrative is, Oh, Eve broke the world because she wanted more. And they want to tell Christian women, you're being lied to. And this whole idea of Eve and Adam bringing original sin into the world, this is all just to oppress you. This has yeah. been brought about to make you think that you're subservient to men. I mean, there are books, I'm reading a book right now that's arguing that. The whole idea of patriarchy, men being the head of the home, this is something that was imported early from culture. This is not the Christian message. It's not the message mm -hmm. of the Bible. And I think that feminism has seeped into so many messages. Yeah that are especially aimed at women. Which is ironic 
Because the point of Satan, I think, going to Eve was to create disunity and not allowing Adam to make the decision mm. as the federal head of the family. Yes. And yet the argument's now been flipped on its head in the opposite direction. And I'll just say it. I'm a woman, so I can <clears throat> say this probably. People still probably get mad at me. But I think there are differences between men and women. And I think women are, in general, more deceivable. But I think that's because we have a certain strength that, that we're naturally hardwired toward motherhood, right. toward being more emotionally in tune with another yes. human being. Right. We have a higher, I think, in many cases, emotional intelligence. All of that is good. And that's a strength God gave us to, for the purpose of motherhood. But I think also it makes us more trusting. Yeah. And that can be a, a weakness. Yeah. And I think this is the same with men. There are strengths that can turn into weaknesses really easily. I don't see those as, uh, you know, it's not fair. I'm glad that God wired me this way, yeah. that I have that sort of instinct. Um, but, you know, them's fighting words these days. Well, and I, I don't know if I want to take this track because it might lead us down a completely different yeah. thing. But we talked about the emergent church earlier. One branch wrote off to universalism. And then we have the episodes of... Mark Driscoll mm -hmm. and Mars Hill, which has, I think, in some sense, validated what those people early yeah. on, Rachel Held Evans, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera, were saying about that sort of toxic masculinity. Well, here's, you know, case A, 1A. Yeah. And, and now with uh, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, that's yeah, just- Yeah, they definitely made the progressives the heroes of the yeah, story there. Yeah. They really did. It, and I, I know a lot of- um, Orthodox evangelicals who are listening to that and learning leadership lessons that were really good and yes. helpful, yeah. but then it became sort of the pile on. And then it was like, who are the heroes? I in agree. This, right? I listened to all the episodes and there were episodes where I was like, I'm so thankful that yeah. the light was shown yes. on this because I came out of a church that had a similar abusive structure. Right later. And for me, it was very much like, wow, this sounds like almost the same story. But then at the same time, I'm thinking, but you don't have to be a progressive to call out abuse. So what's happening here? And, and you're right. It's like they made the progressives who were calling some of that stuff out early, yeah. the heroes. And, you know, I agree with them calling it out. That's probably why I was attracted to the church I wrote my book about, where it was very right. progressive in that right. sense. But yeah, it's like, it's almost like complementarianism has become the abusive doctrine when really what I think we see yeah. in the rise and fall of Mars Hill is abuses of the complementarian yes. doctrine. Yes. So yeah, this is something I'm thinking a lot about right now because I'm reading this other yeah, book yeah. and yeah. there's so much twisting yeah. of the truth. And I think yeah. that's again, why we have to teach our kids to think logically, because if we can teach them, you can actually listen to something and not agree with everything it says. Right. You can take, okay, it's very good that they shine light on this. You know, at what point does it turn into a church bashing session? We need to think yes. about that. At yes. what point does it implicate all evangelicals? We need to separate those things yeah. and talk about those things. I know you said you didn't want to talk about politics, but I'm going to drag you in here. <laughs> okay. No, we don't have to, but but I'm just, you know. I'll do my best. Everything. I'm not very political, but I'll do my best. I'm trying to get better. I'm actually going to do a series on my podcast because I realize that I'll pray for like, you. you can't avoid politics as a Christian. No. Because your your theology is going to inform that. Yeah. I mean, not like you're going to take a partisan thing, but... And you live in the marketplace. Yeah. So you either shut up, which that's not fair. Why are we the only ones who have to shut up? Right. But it's hard, yeah. And then the conversation gets taken away from us. That's in some right. Sense. So yeah. you either have a voice or not. Why, you know, we tend to think of things as th there's no gray. There's no sort of like, can I listen to something or read something and say, these are true and I can take those lessons or whatever and agree, it's always like all or nothing, yes. right? So yeah. so politicians stand up, it's all political posturing. There's very little sort of 
argumentative structure that are actually convincing debate anymore. It's just me on my position lambasting whoever is the enemy, good and bad, it's white and black. And there's just these polar extremes. And then you look at the way we should be looking at it. I've had Monique Dusan on recently to talk about CRT. And I said, you know, what at the core, is there anything helpful coming out of this? Mm. Or is it all just like, just throw it all into the dumpster and burn it up? And she was saying, well, yeah, I mean, the initial question of, are there inequalities? I mean, even within the church, what are the ways that I look at my brother and sister in Christ? Like actually getting to those core questions can be helpful. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't look at them and say, this is from Satan and don't whatever. Can you pull the threads out from something that may be raising a genuine issue and not just lump everything else and throw it into the garbage? Yeah. I immediately think of the whole Christian nationalism conversation because that has been a very frustrating conversation for me, to be honest, because I've purposely avoided politics on my podcast. Now I'm not going to shy away from talking against abortion or any, you know, there are issues that are going to, People are going to put That's a put moral in, issue a that moral is in the issue. political world, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So I'm not going to shy away from that. But, you know, I, I just sort of avoided all political commentary on my podcast. And I still get called a Christian nationalist, a white Christian nationalist. I wrote an article about um, beliefs that progressive Christians and atheists have in common. And I was called a white Christian nationalist. It had nothing political in it. So I'm frustrated by the conversation because I get what a lot of them are saying. I attended a church, I believe it was on Mother's Day. And the pastor obviously conflated the gospel with mask policies and about the role of the police. And I was very sensitive to it because there was somebody with us who was deconstructed, who came as a favor. And they said, see. And I was, well, I'm just thinking, (laughs) this is exactly what they think it is. And so I left very um, bothered by that. But I also travel enough to know that that's not happening everywhere. There are really solid evangelical churches all over the country with humble pastors doing the work of the gospel, but they're not trying to become social media stars. So you don't hear about them. So you hear about those big things that happen. And then everybody uses a term, even critical theory, this can happen too. people use that. So I'm kind of criticizing both sides here, but you know, we use the term so broadly to almost like, I don't think it's fair to call everybody who might've made an informed choice to vote for Trump as the lesser of two evils. It's not fair to call them a Christian nationalist for doing that. It's not fair to say even somebody who might think he was a good president. That's not fair to call them a Christian nationalist because they like a guy you hate. They might hate him too. But, you know, so I think that this inability to think in any nuance is is very frustrating because I also can see the abuses with somebody like the abuses with Mark Driscoll, but also as Christians, we also have to keep in mind, Mark Driscoll was made in the image of God. I want him to be redeemed to the Lord. I don't necessarily think he should be, you know, in a pulpit without repentance and Uh, that needs to be dealt with properly, but that doesn't mean I want to cancel him as a brother in Christ or as a believer. I mean, you know, I want to see repentance, of course. And I, but there it's like, no, you have to cancel. It's cancel culture. It really is. is. And Christians are just as guilty of this. And I think this is probably where I want us to land the plane because I know you have to go back and and continue to talk. Um, But I think, again, we think in categories. And if I have a friend or a neighbor or relative or whatever it is that's deconstructing, I can't just sort of say they're lost cause Mm -hmm. or now I need is I need someone like Elisa Childers to give me all my ammunition so I can load up my 
double barrel shotgun and blow them away with my logic and my biblical inerrancy and just drown them in this stuff. Yeah. Help us think, you know, because you walk this out in your own life. How do we have an actual biblical perspective towards Mm. people that are struggling, people that are even completely opposed Mm -hmm. and against us? How do we think clearly about them and not just sort of Yes. That's such a good, I'm so glad you asked that question because so, you know, we talked about this before we went on the air. So much of my time is sort of sending up the warning flags, like wake up church, this is happening. And that's a very different question than how do I walk with somebody in my life who's going through this? Totally different questions. And my answers are totally different. So um, in my experience, even researching this movement, I asked a, a deconstructionist, what would you say to pastors? If you had a room full of pastors in front of you, what would you say to them? And he would say, just love them. They know what you believe. Just love them. And I have to say, in many ways, it's agree. Convicting. Like it is, I, in many ways, I agree. I mean, I think as a Christian, I'm always going to want to try to point toward truth, always. But we have to understand that when people are deconstructing, they know, they grew up in church. Yeah. They know all the things you believe. Yeah. They need to see you live it out. They need to see you really love them. And you know what? That could even mean having a difficult conversation, but you kind of, because of the way this whole animal works, Mm. you have to give them space and we have to um, maybe just become very servant hearted toward them Mm. and do things for them. You know, if it's a single mom, mow her lawn, this isn't the time to bring out all of your apologetics arguments. Well, they already have a terrible weight on their back and then to bring what can sound as law to Mm -hmm. them. It's just going to break them. Yeah. And, and, and further, they need to know that you're real. Yeah. That's the thing I think too, is because so many people deconstruct because of hypocrisy and they think all evangelicals are evil and fear-based and all of this, just break that stereotype for them. Yeah. That could yeah. be the best thing you could do is just not be afraid of their questions. Offer to like, Hey, I'd really love to know what brought you on this yeah. journey and maybe hold yeah. your tongue. Don't offer them an answer in that yeah. moment, but make them know, like, you're not afraid of their questions you love them, you know, can I walk your dog or whatever it might be and let them see the peace and the joy of Jesus living out in your own life because it goes against the stereotype. Mm. Even thinking about the way Jesus, how gentle he was with Mm. Peter after his denial. I mean, Peter's probably catatonic. He's just, he doesn't know what to do, you know, and, and, and yeah. And he's just gentle with him. And then he says, if you love me, serve the sheep, feed the sheep. Good. Well, I've loved having you on. You're one of our few repeat uh, guests. Um, Elisa Childers, your book again. So Another Gospel is my first book that tells my story. And then I have a book coming out in the fall called Live Your Truth and Other Lies, How Exposing Popular Deceptions That Make Us Anxious, Exhausted, and Self-Obsessed. Well, and hopefully this episode will come out before the fall, but uh, even still, we'll, maybe there's a pre-order page we can help direct links yeah, to. Yeah, be looking so. on Amazon. It'll yeah. be up soon. Yeah, great. Elisa Childers, thank you so much for being on Candid Conversations. Thank you. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And subscribe to Candid Conversations on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. While there, please leave a review. It does help people to find us. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.